Well, once again, Providence, Merry Christmas. That was, that was awesome. If you don't know me, my name is Andrew. Uh, I serve here at the church as one of the pastors. Uh, and I will say, just very honestly right away, uh, I loved that video. I'm a little surprised at how good are the answers that they had. Uh, I don't want to say I didn't have faith in your kids, um, but I was a little skeptical at how that might turn out, but, but it was awesome. I mean, that is so fun. And here's the thing, this last week, so we were kind of prepping that, and we knew that we were going to do this video and the questions we were going to ask. Uh, and I don't know if you've had that moment where you, you're kind of going through something and you kind of step back and you think, man, what, what would I actually answer to some of those questions? Like, for instance, that, that last question there. Just think about this. Why is it so important that Jesus came? I mean, think about it. We have this whole holiday set apart to celebrate and to eat food and come to church and hang out with family and do all of these things, give gifts to one another. We do all of this stuff around Christmas. But have you ever really stopped to just wonder, man, why is this actually so important? You don't know if you do that sometimes, especially at work for me, I'm kind of a, I'm a big picture kind of productivity guy. And so every once in a while we have the tendency to just kind of be doing things and I kind of have to step back a second and just think, okay, wait, why is this important again? Like, you know, like, wait, why are we doing this? I don't know if you, you do that at work, if you have projects or something you work on, you're just going day after day after day. And every once in a while you just need to step back for a second and say, okay, well, what's the vision behind this? What's the reason they were doing this, or maybe for some of you, it's, it's at home with kiddos, and you're just swamped with changing diapers and corralling kids and making sure they don't stick something in a socket or throw their diaper everywhere, or you're just trying to figure out, well, just kind of keeping them together, and have you ever just stopped to think, okay, what's the reason for this? Like, why is this, what I'm doing now, so important? You ought to think maybe Christmas, maybe most of all, maybe more than any other time, we can have the tendency to just kind of blow right through the whole holiday season, right? I mean, it's weeks now, and you can go, and you've got holiday parties, and you will cook hams and bake sugar cookies, and you're going to throw wreaths up and tinsel and trees and ornaments, and you'll spend hours out in the cold, like hanging the little lights as your fingers are freezing cold, or or you'll just do tons of stuff, or we'll uh, actually intentionally try to spend spend time with family that we never intentionally try to spend time with. I mean, it's just like we do anything and everything this season. And have you ever just stopped to wonder, why is this season so important? Like, why do we do all these things? Why do we celebrate? Why do we have all this stuff for Christmas? Now, I think there's some probably, uh, maybe, you know, some good religious church kind of answers that we could give to that. I think there's even probably good, you know, just worldly answers that you could give to that. It's important because it's good to spend time with family and to have traditions and to give gifts to one another and to eat sugar sometimes. Like, all that stuff's good. Like, that's just good. But I, I do think that from Luke chapter 2, what we've been kind of reading over the last 15 minutes, I think that they give maybe the most important reason. Right? I think there's one kind of ultimate reason from Luke chapter 2 or one answer to why is Christmas so important? And so even though there's a lot of reasons or answers, let me give you the one that I think Luke says that I really think the whole Bible kind of points to. If you're asking why is Christmas so important, I think Luke 2 says that Christmas is important because the King has come. 
Christmas, this season, what we're doing right now is so important. If you kind of peel back all of the, the decorations and the trees and the tradition, you peel everything away and you get to the ultimate kind of core of why is Christmas important. I think Luke 2, Luke 2 says it's important because the king has come. And that's really all I want to show you today. We're going to look at this passage a little bit. And we're just going to see that Christmas is important because the king has come. I think it's that simple. Now, as Jared kind of mentioned earlier, uh, any story, any good story has uh, kind of a backstory, right? Like where we enter in into Luke is a little bit of the, it's the beginning of the climax of the story where we actually see some action that's going to change the world. But I do think it's important for us to, to just pause for a second and ask, what is the backstory? Like, what's leading us up to Luke chapter 2? And I'm not just talking about Luke 1, but, but if, if we look at all of history, what, what is so important about Jesus coming? If the king has come, why is that good news? You know, good news is only truly good in the midst of bad news, right? Light only really shines in the midst of darkness, so for, for many of you, uh, or some of you, I think there's a lot of new faces, but if you've been coming to Providence for a while, or at least over the last four weeks, we've been in what the church calls the season of Advent, right? And it's the, it's the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And basically all we do as a church is we anticipate this day, right? We anticipate the coming of Jesus. And so we've been looking at the last four weeks here as a church at this idea of longing for a king. And what we've said is that the king has come is only good news if you've actually wrestled with the fact that you want a king, that your heart is longing for a king. And the reality is, I mean, that, that, that's kind of funny, right? Like, we don't necessarily think that automatically. I would say that almost none of you, maybe I would put all my chips in, that none of you woke up this morning just feeling, oh, I wish I had a king. Right? Like, we just don't, we don't think that way, right? We're, we are a country literally founded on the idea that we don't want a king. Okay? That's just, that's ingrained in us. But I think the Bible presses on that and says, no, actually, there's something in your soul that really does long for a king. And so to, to understand that, maybe think about it this way for a second. Think about what does a king do. What is the good element of a king? So don't think evil kings or corruption or or anybody power hungry. Think in its purest form, the the best king over a kingdom. What do they do? Well, a king offers provision for his people. He offers leadership for his people. He protects his land. He, He fights on behalf of his people. He makes decisions and leads on behalf of his people. He gives hope and oftentimes comfort and security to his people. A good king offers kind of everything we really want, provision and protection and security and comfort and safety. You know, I was in uh, Thailand maybe three or four years ago now, and, uh, and in Thailand they have a king, and there was at that point a king that had been reigning for like 70-some years. It was crazy, and, and everybody in Thailand, man, they loved their king. And as you ask them why they loved their king, they gave reasons like I just mentioned. Their king was good to them. 
Their king was for the good of the land. Their king didn't go to unnecessary war. The king wasn't power hungry and trying to steal from them, but he was trying to give to them. The king offered protection and safety. No one had conquered Thailand under his reign because he was a good king. You see, when you have a good king that offers protection and hope and provision, we would submit to and love these kings. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that God actually was meant to fill that role in all of our lives. You go all the way back to the beginning of the story, and it says that he created us, and he created us so that he could provide for you, and protect you, and be with you, and offer you security and safety. He was, in his form, a king to his people. And so what we did in the first week of Advent was we looked at this Old Testament book, Isaiah, and we looked at how God comes to his people, Israel, and he said, I was like a dad to you. I was a king to you. I was a good leader for you, and you ran away from me. You chose rebellion, and you chose not to follow me, but to run after other kings. Have you ever heard the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel? Or the second line of that is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. That's what Isaiah 1 is saying. He's saying that because we've sinned, because we've rebelled, Israel was captive. They were in bondage because of their rebellion. Now, Isaiah 1 is only a picture of the reality of all of us. That if you were to think back over your life, your life is marked by God saying, do this, and us doing this, right? By God saying, uh, walk this way and us turning around and walking the other way. Of us, of God saying, look, don't do this and us doing that very thing, right? Our whole life is us saying, God, we don't need you. We can find life and happiness and joy in other areas. Our whole life, each and every one of us is marked by rebellion. Therefore, I think that's why we can sing Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, and ransom me, right? Because we are captivated. We are under bondage to our sin. Now, here's the reality. Because we've rejected God, and each and every one of us has, that doesn't mean that, that you truly are saying, I don't want God, and I don't need a king. No, in fact, what, what actually happens is your soul says, maybe I don't want God, but I still want other kings. Now, again, I know that many of us don't think that, but, but just think about the characteristics that a king does. Right? He offers protection. Who in here doesn't want to feel protected? He offers security. Who amongst us does not strive for security? He offers provision. Who amongst us does not long for something to provide for us? You see, it's not that our souls say we don't want a king. It's that we don't want that king, and so we live for other kings. Maybe for some of us, it really at its core is simply just us. We just think, I will set myself up as king. If I'm going to be provided for, if I'm going to make it, if I'm going to have life and hope, then it's up to me. I am going to make it on my own. No one's going to define me. No one's going to lead me. No one's going to tell me what to do, but I am going to do it on my own. And what we've done is we've placed a little crown and put it on our head and said, I am king over this dominion. But I think for many others of us, it's not that we think we can do it ourselves, but we just kind of survey the world and we think, what else is going to offer me these things? 
Maybe I have low self-esteem and I feel lonely. And so what I do is think, man, I'm going to try to find another person and maybe that person will satisfy. What you're doing is you're putting your little crown on that person's head and saying, you satisfy this longing in my soul to feel connected. Or maybe you want to feel valued. And so you said, man, I'm going to do this through my job. And so I'm going to keep getting promotions. And so you've placed your little crown at your desk. And you've said, this is what's going to make me finally feel satisfied and complete and valued. Maybe you want to feel secure and safe. And so you, you put your little crown at your bank account. And you say, if only this can stack up enough, then I'll feel secure. Then I'll feel like I have everything under control. You see, none of us go through life saying we don't want kings, it's just we're placing these crowns on different things in the world and asking them to be king. And we all long for a king, something or someone to give us the benefits that our soul is longing for. Now, I know we're kind of taking a little bit of a dive into the depths of our souls here, but if we stay here for one more second, I would just ask you, would you be honest about how that's been going for you. Like if your hope and your provision and your security is within anything of this world, people, jobs, money, status, any of that, just be honest with how is that truly going. I love that Luke 2 kind of starts in this kind of dark and lonely and maybe silent night. Because I think that's a little bit of a picture of of when we don't have a true king, oftentimes we feel that kind of dark, lonely, maybe hopeless kind of feeling. You know, when we put our hope in things of this world and things that we cannot keep or last, I think we start to feel that darkness creep up. We start to feel that pressure creep up. We start to feel that weight on us a little bit more. And I think what you're feeling in those moments, maybe you're feeling that tonight is you're feeling your hope being in a king that is not off or is not providing what it offered to you you know I was uh, yesterday we were doing a, a family Christmas with my in-laws and uh, we were opening presents and so you know after you kind of rip them all open I have a one-year-old now and so after we ripped them all open we kind of got it into a ball uh, and I was kind of playing with him with it and so uh, right away I'd kind of hold it out and he'd you know, try to grab it, and then I kind of pull it away, or I kind of play with it, and so he's trying to grab it, and right away, he's loving it. He's smiling. It's fun for him, right? He's kind of chasing it down, and, uh, and then pretty soon, I kept doing it, and you could start to see the frustration get on his face. He's got a really good furrowed brow, and so he's kind of getting, and you can kind of tell he's getting more and more anxious, and every time, he kind of touches it, and then it goes away, and then he grabs it a little bit, and then it goes away, and he just started to get this frustration because he could kind of feel it. He could almost get it and then it would elude him. Is that not somewhat what our soul does when we put our hope in the things of this world and you, you kind of taste it, like you just get it a little bit and then it eludes you, right? Like you put your hope in this person and then they break up with you. It's like you had it and then it slipped out of your hands. Or you put your hope in this job, but you keep getting promoted and every time you try to grab it, it just, it doesn't satisfy. It's just elusive. Or you put your hope in just a, a financial bar and you think, man, if I just get there and then when you kind of, you got it, then all of a sudden it's like, well, but I need 
need something more. I need three more dollars or 5,000 more dollars or a million more dollars. And, and it's just elusive. These things of the world, they don't last. And you, when you actually grab him, he actually got the paper at one point. He finally got what his heart wanted and he kind of looked at it and he like threw it down. Right? Because once you actually get those things, sometimes they don't actually satisfy you. Like you get the promotion and you realize there's something more that I want. You get married and you realize it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be like. These things are elusive when we put our hope in the things of the world. And I think it's in that dark moment that we hear Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Just listen to this. Imagine maybe feeling that darkness, feeling that maybe you're trying to find somewhere to offer provision and security, and it just feels a weight and darkness. And this is what verse 8 says. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around. Feel your darkness and just feel like the heavens are opening and the angels have come and they say, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this is gonna be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The shepherds are feeling that darkness. They're in the midst of just a dark, lonely season and light begins to break in. And the angel, you know what the angel says to them? They say, hey, the king has come. Right, the one you've been waiting for, the one that your heart is longing for, he's come and here's how you're going to find him. Here's the sign of the eternal powerful king. Go to the manger and find a little baby in a bed of hay. Like you feel like the irony that just kind of smacks you in that moment. All of the Old Testament's leading up to this point. His birth is one verse and then the angel says you're going to find the king in a manger. You're not going to find him in a palace. You're not going to find him with royal blood. You're not going to find him in this big city. You're going to find him lying in a manger. And the irony doesn't stop there. The whole life of Jesus is marked by this. And you know why I think that is? I was thinking about this this morning. I think that the life of Jesus is marked by irony because the king that we often want is just not the king that we really need. You know, the king that your heart usually longs for is not the king that you truly need. The king that's just going to help you get a little bit of relief today, or just a few more dollars tomorrow, or just a little bit more direction heading into 2019. That little tiny king that we want is, is not the king that you truly need. And you know, as you watch the life of Jesus, he doesn't grow up in his ministry going to the metropolis, but he usually stays in the small towns. He doesn't hit up the celebrities and the pop stars thinking, man, if I can just get to them, they'll have this huge reach. He doesn't go for the athletes and the, the big politicians. You know, Jesus spent his time with the addicts, the people who were crippled, the thieves, the, the sinners. And, and this king, Jesus, didn't work his way to political might and find himself a throne. He actually lost followers his entire life until you find him alone on a cross. The king 
of Jesus Christ is the ironic king, the one that does it in a completely different way because the king that we want, the logical king, the powerful king, the king that makes sense to us is not the king that we actually needed. I, uh, this last Friday, my wife and I, we went on a little date and we went to this matinee, we went to Aquaman. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, I, don't, I don't read comics, I don't really know anything about it. But it was interesting because I'm watching this movie uh, and I really did debate whether or not I could do a superhero uh, illustration on Christmas. But I'm going to do it because I think it fits, so you can bear with me if you're traditional. But So we got Aquaman, right? And I don't know if you've seen the movie, but basically the premise is this. There's uh, these people of the sea, right? Atlantis. There's these kingdoms underwater, and then there's people of the surface, they say, but of, of land. Now, there's a, essentially over the movie, there's this war that's breaking out. And what you find out as the movie goes on is that really if this war happens, like as the hatred builds up, nobody's going to win. Like they're going to destroy Everything. I mean, it's a classic action movie. So everything's going to, you know, it's, it's the worst case scenario. And so what they need, there's this line in the movie where they say, the only way to defeat the, this evil king is to find this sword. And the only way that that sword can be found is by the one true king. They said the only way for this whole war to be over is if the true king comes forward and finishes the war. And so you see this Aquaman, right? And he's hated by both sides because he's half of the sea and he's half of the land. But they say they needed a bridge to reconcile the two people. In order for the land and the sea to work, they needed somebody who is truly of the land and truly of the sea. And so you see this scene in the darkest moment. He comes in and he saves the day. And you find out in his victory that he is the one true king. And I'm sitting there in the theater thinking, man, what a picture, right? Like what a shadow of the story that's going on in our world. That in order for the heavenly beings and for God himself to be reconciled to the people of the earth, mankind, there had to be a bridge. There had to be a person who was truly God and truly man. There had to be one who in the darkest moments of our soul could penetrate in and be the king who led us back to God. And as you read through the story of Luke all the way to the end, you find out that this man, Jesus, was that man. That he came and he built a bridge between God and man. I love the song, Hark the Herald. One of the lines goes, Hark the Herald Angel seen, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. It was Jesus being king that reconciles God in mankind. The king has finally come. Christmas is important because this is the sign saying that your king has come. The true king has come. The one and only king has come. And as now we know the rest of the story, that king didn't come to set up an earthly reign, but he came to die on your mind behalf. He came to rise again from the dead and rule and reign on a throne Today, Jesus is the one true king. And so this evening, if you've walked in and you're kind of noticing your heart just longing for provision and protection, longing for safety and security, longing for affirmation and value, if you are trying to find those things in the world, can I just ask you that that it might be that you are grasping at something that will just always elude you, that will never satisfy you. But that in the midst of that darkness, in the midst of that wandering, 
Luke 2 says, the king has come, and he's come for you, and he's come for me, and he's come to redeem and reconcile us to God. So tonight, I I would just ask, would you, uh, maybe in line with a, a classic Christmas song, Joy to the World, it says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king. Would you do that tonight? The Lord has come. The king has finally come to reconcile God and man. Would you receive your king? He's the true king. He's the king that satisfies. And I know for many of you in the room today, I'm not naive. I know that this is one of the only days that you ever come to church. And that's okay. And I know that there's pieces of your life where maybe never in your life you've submitted and said, Jesus is king. And I would ask you, if you feel any of that darkness, any of that weight, any of that pressure... Would you, with the angels, sing out, my king has come, he's here. And maybe if you've done that year after year and you've believed in Jesus, um, I think the call is the same for us as well. That you would receive your king. You know, I think it's oftentimes we like to think that Jesus is our savior and he died for me. But I still want to find some sort of security and safety and value in the things of the world. And I would just ask tonight, would you receive your king? Would he be your true king? Would all those things be submitted under him? And in the midst of darkness, would you allow the light of the world, Jesus Christ, to shine in and take control of every part of our life? It's why we're going to sing here in a moment that we would receive our king. That with the angels, we're going to praise the one true king. Let me pray. Father, you are so, so good that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our longing, in the midst of our seeking after things of this world, you sent your son. And now we celebrate that Jesus has come, that the angels have opened up the heavens that night and they have shouted out glory to God because the king has come. Light has broken through in the darkness. And I pray for us in this room, God, would this not be routine to us? Would this not just glaze over us, but would we know that there are things in our hearts that we are trying to give uh, power to in this world and would you kill that in us? God, would you open our eyes to who you are, that yes, you came as a humble baby boy, you died a vicious death on a cross, but today you are living and you are reigning and you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you rule and reign over all things forevermore. And would we tonight gladly submit to that, God? Help our hearts find joy in submitting to that and singing with the angels, glory to God, because he has sent his son to reconcile God and man. Amen.